what would it look like for us to enjoy glorifying God forever? And how do we most effectively fulfill that purpose? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Once again, you're listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Tuesday, January the 10th of 2012. And as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. Happy New Year to you guys. God bless you, and thank you for downloading this message and joining us for uh, for the continuation of our study in the book of Romans. We're going to be covering Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6 today. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 15. We'll be covering verses 5 and 6 here in just a moment. Moment, but I do want to welcome you guys and wish you guys a happy new year. Hope it's a good one for you so far. New Year's is always uh, a time for me, you know, to kind of reevaluate where I am, where I'm going, where I've been, you know, all of those things. And hopefully you guys have enjoyed the, the topical messages that I've been posting for you guys. Uh, you know, I just figured, you know, like for the New Year's message that, uh, that I gave at church, last week, you know, it's like, well, when else am I going to, you know, when else am I going to put that on here? Uh, yeah, seems like, you know, New Year's is the most appropriate time to do it. So hopefully you guys have been enjoying those messages. And hopefully uh, <laughs> in the message last week, uh, I thought the beginning was hilarious. Being uh, being committed to being noncommittal was kind of a funny intro, I thought. Uh, anyway, th- this past Sunday at church, um, kind of a neat experience. Uh, for the third time, I had a listener uh, show up, which was so cool. I get I get really excited when uh, when one of you guys shows up in church. And, and in this instance, um, and this being the first time this has happened, I had no idea. I mean, we have a small enough church that I, I realized that uh, that this woman, um, you know, one of you guys, uh, a listener, uh, I didn't realize that she was a listener, though. I just kn- knew that, you know, she was new, and uh, she was back sitting with a couple of my friends in the church. And, uh, of course, as soon as the service ended, they introduced me to her, but that was so cool. I get really excited when, uh, when I get to meet you guys face-to-face, especially, uh, you know, somebody like her. She's been listening for several years. Uh, and and everybody that I've met um, face to face, long time listeners. That's just so neat, and I am so grateful for all of you guys. Um, as I've told you guys before on here, when I started this, I thought that you know no more than five people would be listening. So cool stuff. Before we get started, I wanted to answer uh, a question about the app. Uh, I am just as <laughs> anxious for it as you guys are. I'm not sure why it's not showing up on iTunes yet. Uh, I know that um, toward the end of the year, you know, we're we're kind of waiting on iTunes to approve of our app. Uh, and I have uploaded the messages. I mean, I spent hours and hours and hours, twice actually, uh, uploading the messages. So I, I guess we're still waiting on iTunes. I'm not sure, but as soon as I know anything, I'll let you guys know. I was hoping that it would be available by the end of 2011. Obviously, that wasn't the case, but hopefully we'll have it up and running uh, very soon. 
Uh, also, wanted to let you guys know that I put another book on Amazon. If you have a Kindle, uh, you can buy some books that I've published on Amazon. I've written one uh, on the Get the Hell Out of Here series. Uh, I've written one on abortion, one on common questions about Christianity. And so what I thought I'd do this time is put one on Christmas, because I've got all these uh, lessons that I've written out on, on Christmas. And I figured, you know, I may as well put that into book format. But... um yeah, if you guys are interested in that, the name of the book is uh, Keeping Christ in Christmas, and you can get that for your Kindle on Amazon. If you don't have a Kindle, that's okay. You can read it on your computer. Just download the free Kindle uh, application for your computer. Uh, also, wanted to remind you guys real quick, uh, next week we're going to be starting our new study in the book of Mark. So, uh, man, that's been a, a good series that we've done at church, and we'll be uploading those messages onto BibleStudyPodcasts.org. I think you guys will enjoy it. Anyway, let's go ahead and open with a quick word of prayer, and we'll get started with our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the instructions that we receive from it, the insight we receive from it. We thank you for the way that reading your word causes us to grow, not only grow in our knowledge of you, but grow in our ability to trust you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that this message today, as we study your word, would continue to just transform our lives and make us more like you. Let us reflect your goodness in our lives as a result of what we learned today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you look back through the history of philosophy, you'll see that humanity seems to have always asked a lot of the same questions. Questions like, who am I? Why am I here? Do I have a purpose in life? What is this all there for? Is this all there is? The fact that people have been asking these types of questions for literally I mean, literally, thousands and thousands of years, gives evidence to the biblical teaching that God created us with a very specific and definite purpose, and that is to enjoy glorifying God. The very first question in the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, why are we here and what is our purpose? And the answer that the Catechism provides is that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Amen. I just add that that's our chief end both individually and collectively. The question that we have to ask in light of this answer, however, is what would that look like? I mean, what would it look like to enjoy glorifying God forever? And how do we most effectively fulfill that purpose. Well, if there's one thing that we can be sure of, it's that we won't be the only one there doing it. In fact, we know that when John, the Apostle John, had a vision of heaven, there were more people uh, than anyone could ever count singing praises to God together. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation on earth. What a, what a powerful image and encouraging image that must have been for John. That's in eternity, however. What about now? The purpose of this section of the book of Romans is to promote unity among believers. That's what we've seen uh, as we've been in the 15th chapter of Romans. Paul's emphasized the importance of living in harmony with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ over and over again. He's attacked the objections from several angles. There's no way of escaping the conclusion. The weak and the strong in Christ are to operate in harmony with one another. Is it possible that we would operate strictly for the sake of pleasing ourselves? 
It's possible, sure. That happens. And I think that if you look at the majority of Christian churches, circles, organizations, etc., you'll probably see that that's exactly what's going on, at least to some degree, a lot of the time. But Paul's response to this is that we're supposed to look like Jesus here, putting selfishness aside, living out our lives for one another, yielding ourselves to one another. In fact, this issue is so important to Paul, he's going to take the opportunity to pray for his audience. And this is actually going to be the first time that he's done so in his letter to the church at Rome. Back in chapter 1, he shared some of his personal prayers with them, but he didn't actually stop and intentionally write out a prayer for them right then and there. But that's what he does here regarding the issue of harmonious coexistence of Jesus' followers. So he writes in Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we should gather from this is that we should have the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. We're going to talk about what that means. The NIV calls this a spirit of unity. And this is simply something that doesn't come naturally for people. It doesn't. It's not a natural thing. The reality is that we want to be around people who are just like us. We want them to look like us. We want them to talk like us, dress like us, and we want them to believe all the same things that we do. And there's no point in even trying to deny this because the statistics and the studies show this to be so abundantly and universally true that it's a a key to the strategy of almost every church growth or church planning book on the market. It's called the homogeneity principle. The homogeneity principle basically dictates that everything that we do as a church body be geared toward appealing to a very specific demographic. If you want to attract young, wealthy, Caucasian families, for example, you have to speak their language. You have to decorate the church according to their style. You have to play their music over and over and over, etc., etc. You know, if if you want to attract African Americans, you have to do all the same things, whatever would appeal to that particular demographic. Hopefully you get the idea. It doesn't matter what the demographic is that you're appealing to. You have to speak their language, decorate the church, and play the music that they like, etc., etc. But the reality is that the homogeneity principle might increase the size of a church, sure, but it keeps Christians feeling snug and secure in their little boxes. Do you know what happens when you put a growing human being inside of a box? They stop growing properly. Their growth gets stunted. And of course, that's speaking physically, but the same thing happens spiritually as well. Our growth gets stunted when we're never given the opportunity to put up with people or to learn to put up with people who are different than we are. And so followers of Jesus learn to focus on the minors rather than the majors. In other words, we start focusing on things that don't exclude people from the kingdom of heaven. We start spending energy focusing on, uh, for example, whether baptism is supposed to be by full immersion or by sprinkling, rather than on reaching out to a world that's headed straight to hell because they don't know Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that the issue of baptism isn't important. All I'm saying is that if we're spending more time talking about the method 
of baptism than we are on reaching out to people, on actually baptizing people, whether it's sprinkling or immersion, then we need to reprioritize so that we're sure that we're investing our time and energy in things that actually matter. More relevant to the issue at hand, however, is that if we're so consumed with a minor issue that we exclude, that we shut out those who don't agree with us on whatever the minor issue is, for example, if someone is so sure that baptism should be by full immersion that they don't accept someone who's been baptized by sprinkling as their brother and sister in Jesus, then we not only need to refocus, but more importantly, we need to repent. Our repentance needs to start with the realization that it really isn't natural for us to welcome people who believe differently than we do into our midst. While that may not be natural, we need to remember that we're not called to live natural lives, but to live supernaturally transformed lives that have been and continue to be supernaturally transformed into the likeness of Christ. Now, you can be assured that Paul knows there's never going to be a point in this life in which we're all on the same page, theologically speaking. He knows that there will be disagreements over minor issues, and possibly over major ones too. We want to be sure that we handle both correctly. Paul isn't asking us to all believe exactly alike here. I mean, it's possible for everyone to believe alike, but to, you know, and to be thinking the same thing, but to be completely mistaken about whatever it is that they believe. No, when Paul prays for us to be of the same mind with one another, he's praying that we would have the mind of Christ. That is, that we'd reflect Jesus in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we love one another, and thereby bring glory to God. You see, if we're truly submitted to Jesus the way that we're supposed to be, the way that he commands us to be. It means that we want to value what he values. It means that we want to see things the way he sees things. So let's remember that Jesus valued unity among his followers enough that he too prayed for his followers to live in harmony with one another. So the prayers of both Paul and Jesus would be that God would grant Jesus' followers the ability Because it's not natural that God would grant Jesus' followers the ability to peacefully coexist with one mind. Not in order that we would all be cookie cutters who think, look, act, speak, believe exactly alike, but that we would be submitted in loving service to one another as a means of serving, loving, and glorifying God. We certainly won't be segregated or excluded from one another in heaven, so why should we settle for segregation and exclusion in the church on earth? Now, Paul's prayer uh, for all believers, but specifically here in this case for the church in Rome, uh, Paul's prayer doesn't offer any type of definition regarding what it means to glorify God. Rather, Paul wants us to understand that when we're living in peaceful coexistence with other believers, with one another, we give the unbelieving world a more accurate image of God, and that brings him glory. So Paul's prayer is that we would more fully understand what it means to know Jesus as Lord, because it's only when God's people are reflecting Jesus in their lives and in their service for one another that they can truly bring glory to God. How awful, how awful that when we argue with one another over anything, it occasionally tends to spill over into the public's view. And what the world sees is one follower of Jesus uh, hurling vicious insults, mean words at another follower of Jesus, and they do it in the name of God. 
How many unbelievers use instances like that to justify their rejection of the one that we're supposed to be representatives of and ambassadors for? Now, some of you may be familiar with the recent debate regarding Mike Lacona and Norman Geisler. Uh, to make a long story short, Mike Lacona wrote in his book on the resurrection that he isn't sure that the bodily resurrection of the saints from Matthew chapter 27, verses 52 and 53, is historical. He thinks that it's a, it's a possibility that it's apocalyptic, that it's a view of the distant future. Um, why does he think that? Well, because it's weird. That's his word, weird. Yeah, apparently that's the word he actually uses to dismiss the possibility that it actually happened. Uh, Lycona also questions the possibility that there were angels at the tomb of Jesus, and apparently states in his book that he believes that it's possible that the Apostle John had embellished his narrative at certain points, but then Lycona goes on to argue that this was historically acceptable in that time period. Now, Dr. Geisler has brought all these things out into the public arena, and he has publicly accused Lycona of denying the inerrancy of Scripture. Now, I agree with Dr. Geisler. I believe that Dr. Geisler is correct. Uh, Lycona does deny inerrancy, because if we're consistent with this hermeneutic, which apparently allows us to dismiss something as historical simply because we think it's weird, uh, then we compromise the resurrection of Jesus. We at least risk compromising the resurrection of Jesus, or any of the miracles of Jesus, because they're weird. Now, fortunately, Lycona himself isn't consistent. He's not consistent with his own hermeneutic and affirms the literal bodily death and resurrection of Jesus. With that much established, I have no question that he is a bona fide, legitimate follower of Jesus. I think that Dr. Geisler was absolutely correct in confronting Lycona about his hermeneutic, but with this debate spilling over into the public arena the unbelieving world is watching and thinking to themselves, why would I want to be involved with something like that? So I like that Lycona was confronted. I think that was a good thing. But I don't think that he was confronted appropriately because the confrontation has caused more division than unity among followers of Jesus. And believe me, people are noticing. And people on either side of this debate are being vicious with one another, if I'm being completely honest. Matters like this between brothers in Christ need to be settled in a way that promotes and sends the message of unity. The OC Supertones sang about this in their song, One Voice, one of my favorite songs by them. They sing that we're, quote, deeper than death, but we don't act so tight when there's a back to bite. Are we less like a family? And more like a fist fight, are we there but not quite? Are hypocrites children of light? End quote. How are we hypocrites? Well, we're hypocrites when we refuse to live harmoniously with one another because we should be willing to submit to one another for the sake of sending a message to the world. Jesus laid his life down for us and modeled selfless service for us. How can we not be willing to do the same for each other? The gist of Paul's prayer here is that we are to act toward each other as Jesus acted toward us, receiving others despite their faults and despite the differences that we have with them, loving them the way that Jesus loves us despite the fact that we may perceive them as being weaker in the faith than ourselves, and to do these things in order that we may demonstrate the loving acceptance of Jesus and thereby bring glory to God. 
If we review this chapter, chapter 15, we see the type of church that Paul wanted to see being established in Rome. So let's go verse by verse and see the type of church that Paul wants to see established in Rome. In verse 1, chapter 15, verse 1, we see that Paul encourages the church to be a place of refuge, where the weak can be helped by the strong, and where the strong can serve the weak. In verse 2, we see Paul encouraging the church to be a place of instruction, encouragement, and edification, building up. In verse 3, Paul encourages the church to be a place where we serve others as we model selfless Christ-likeness. In verse 4, we see Paul encouraging the church to be a place where the Word of God is taught and applied to our daily lives. Also in verse 4, we see Paul encouraging the church to be a place where brothers and sisters in Jesus can come and be accepted by one another and help help each other endure in their walk with the Lord. In verse 5 here, we see that Paul is praying that the church would be a place of harmonious unity, a place of gathering where that gathering reflects the glory of God. We can be assured that if we're following the model that's been laid out for us here in the first few verses of the 15th chapter of Romans, we'll have a healthy and inviting church that serves as that city on a hill that Jesus instructed us to be. What we need to remember is that our conduct is just as important as our creed. This past Sunday, tens and tens and tens of millions of people in America turned their televisions on to watch Tim Tebow lead the Denver Broncos to victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, I know that Tim Tebow takes a lot of flack for his prayers. He prays on the sideline. He even prays on the field. He, he and, and the cameras catch him. And if you've ever heard him pray, he doesn't pray for the victory. No, he prays that whether he wins or loses, that he would bring glory to God, that he would use his position as somebody who is in the public arena to bring glory to God. He knows that God doesn't care who wins a football game. On Monday morning, I found a picture from before the game, before that Sunday game, of Tim Tebow kneeling in prayer, hand in hand, with not only fellow teammates, but with members of the Pittsburgh Steelers as well. Football brings men from different backgrounds and with all different shapes and sizes together for the sake of operating in harmony with one another, working toward one goal. But this was a picture of something even bigger than that. What did all those guys from opposing teams have in common? Jesus. Jesus was what they had in common. Jesus was big enough to bring all these guys on opposing teams together as brothers. And that's a picture of what our lives should look like as well. That's what our ministries, our churches should look like as well. That we would stand hand in hand with brothers and sisters in Christ who might not have a lot in common with us other than that they trust in Jesus for their salvation. That is what pleases God, and that is what brings glory to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would teach us to be one as you and Jesus are one. That you would teach us what it really means to love someone despite who they are. Lord, there are people who are so hard to love, and we sit next to them sometimes on Sunday mornings. And I pray that you would just give us a heart to reflect the love for others that you've given to us. We thank you for loving us. We know that you loved us first. And so we pray, Lord, that you would teach us to model the love that you've shown us. 
in our lives in order that we would bring glory to you, Lord, knowing that that's our purpose in life. That's what you saved us for. We love you. Thank you for this time. I pray that you would preserve and protect and bless this message for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. From the start of time, you ever run lovingly, longingly after my heart. But you were the one whose beauty shines on time after time. You gave